Hello there and welcome to yet another episode of the Extraordinary Podcast. My name is Tobias Galberg. I am your host and I'm also the founder of strategic brand and design consultancy Wonder Inc. And nowadays also proud founder of the Future Academy. I call it a school for game changers. You can find out more at thefutureacademy.com. And also, since I'm talking about the Future Academy and I'm so excited about it, so pumped, I want to take the time to remind you that my first online training and coaching program is open for enrollment for another week. So enrollments are going to close on uh, February the 22nd. And uh, so the program is called Brand Transformation Masterclass. Uh, check out the course and uh, sign up for the mailing list if you're interested in getting more content. This podcast will be distributed there, as well videos, articles, a lot of cool stuff. So just very briefly, the the course is really a program for people who want to create a highly differentiated brand and transform their business. Like this is not one of those you know, uh, branding type programs where you're just going to focus on your messaging or logos and that kind of stuff, even though that's important too. This is a total business makeover. So you're going to take a look at all the most crucial aspects of your brand and your business. So we're talking about like the fundamental things, how you how you think about, you know, brands and how important that is inside your organization. You're going to dig deep into the customer side, really deciding on a very highly focused ideal customer group. And then you're going to focus on that and create so much value for those people. Uh, and you're actually going to neglect almost everyone else so that you're setting yourself up to win. So you're setting yourself up to provide so much value that these people will come to think of you as their only choice. That's why I call this the only strategy. It was inspired by a positioning statement exercise that my friend and mentor Marty Neumeyer created over 10 years ago. I'm just coming a little bit behind, but I loved his idea from the very beginning, and I've been building a whole methodology around the idea of onlyness because I call that the holy grail of business. It's the strongest place you can be. It's the exact opposite of being a commodity, being seen as mediocre, which I call the worst place in business. But check that out. I'm really proud of it. I hope you um, enroll in the course, and if you don't, that's fine too. But I just ask you to take a look at it because I think you will find, or some of you will find that interesting. And there's a money-back guarantee, so just sign up. And if you don't like it, I'm going to give you your money back. So much for that promotion. Let's move on to today's episode. Today I'm talking to someone I met on the internet. Doesn't that sound uh, weird and scary? No, in fact, this is Matt Davis. He's a super nice guy. I met him uh, on LinkedIn and we've been following each other for a long time. He's a smart guy. He wrote a book called Storyatogy, which he will be talking about in this episode. Matt is really, really skilled, as you will tell, when it comes to brand storytelling and using archetypes to really kind of anchor your story and connect with people. So he's going to talk about how you can do that. If you like the episode, if you like this podcast and you want to support it, it would mean the world to me if you went and gave it a thumbs up or likes or leave a review that will support us, that will make this podcast grow. Thank you again so much for being a listener. And here's this week's episode with Matt Davis. All right. So welcome to the podcast, Matt. Great to have you on. 
Tobias, it's, it's, it's so exciting to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I've been uh, a big fan of yours for a while, um, tuning into quite a few of the uh, the podcasts. And uh, so it's uh, it's absolutely a humbling experience to uh, to actually kind of uh, to do this, really. So thank you. Oh, that's great to hear. Thank you so much. So today we're going to talk about your book, Story Atogy. And I'm going to let you explain that in a minute. Uh, since it's a lot about storytelling and archetypes and stuff, uh, why don't we start with your story? So what is the story of Matt Davis? Yeah, good question, Tobias. So Matt Davis, his story is, uh, if we were to talk about him as if he wasn't here, um, his story really is all about helping people stand out and be more meaningful. Um, my story is all about purpose. Um, that's kind of a theme that's traveled with me through very different sort of guises in my career. Mm. I've run uh, my own agency. I've, uh, I've been on the board of a, a digital marketing agency. I've gone in-house and run an in-house team for Capital One, who are like a, a big credit card company over here in the, in the UK, a massive in the US. Um, and recently, I've, uh, I've sort of branched out to go as a solo consultant to kind of really help businesses improve themselves um, and to be kind of that catalyst for change, which I think a lot of businesses really need, particularly in and around the brand arena, which I know you're a specialist in as mm. well. So, so that's me, really, in a, in a nutshell. But yeah. um, you know, if you want me to dive into anything in particular, then. We'll, we'll dive into. Don't don't worry. We'll, we're going to dive in deep into into the deep end of the pool. Uh, uh, but yeah, so we basically we do the same thing, you know, for a living. You and I, we're we're peers, and so that's why it always makes this extra interesting. I'm I'm really curious to hear about your thoughts. I mean, first of all, I want to hear um, what what made you write the book actually, Storyatogy. Can you can you talk about that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So when I was sort of um, creative director in in these the sort of agencies that I ran, what I found was that that there was a real kind of disconnect between leadership teams and um, really strategy in terms of creative strategy. That's where I initially came at this kind of whole thing of brand from. Mm. And so what happened is typically, you know, you'd get a marketing manager, they'd approach you as a, as a small agency and they'd say, hey, we need a, a brochure, or we need a website, we need something like this. Um, and so you'd say, yeah, of course, we can help you with that that piece of the puzzle. But me being a curious kind of guy, I'd say, well, this is great, but how does this fit into your bigger strategy? Um, you know, why do we need to produce this piece of work? What are we trying to, to, to do here? And, and it, you know, in, inevitably, those questions would really lead into areas where potentially the marketing manager didn't really um, kind of appreciate what, what the bigger the bigger picture was. Mm. And so I really you know what this is really strange, like, how can we really fulfill on briefs effectively without having this vital information, particularly around core purpose and then that led you know uh, you know reading loads of books i'm a big fan of martin newmeyer who i've got a ton mm. of, i know you and you've had him on the podcast you know yeah. he's love him really my eyes to some stuff and, and we'll talk about a few other influences that that kind of affected me but what i was really keen and interested in is how can we effectively position people correctly um, mm. and how to get leaders to engage with that so that the customer understands what they're about and joins them in their quest um, and people, they can attract better staff and they can really push mm. things forward. So that's kind of the angle I was coming at, at, at this from. So to answer your question, sorry to beat around the bush, but to answer the question was, I went from running an agency, a digital marketing agency here in Nottingham where I currently live, um, and I was headhunted by Capital One to go in-house. And when I went in-house, I thought, do you know what? Like I'm going to probably some of these things that I've, I, I've built up, these toolkits over the years, process that I've really refined. Um, I wanted a new challenge, so that's why I went in-house. But 
But I thought, you know what, I don't want to lose this. So what I did was I thought, right, I'll write it all down in a book. And, and so Storyatogy came about Why a couple of people were saying to me, Matt, you know, you're going to lose it. So get it in a book. So Storyatogy really is, is a six-step process, which I've tried and tested over the years, um, mainly in SMEs. Uh, but I've also worked with bigger companies like Boots and Nikon and Specsavers. And we've used some of the strategies in, in, in and around some of those bigger brands. And even when I was at Capital One, actually, we were rebranding. And so some of the... Uh, some of the thinking was contributed to to, to, the, to their rebrand in the UK. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, something uh, I was thinking about when I read it, you start by talking about purpose and meaning, and you already mentioned that that was sort of your your own driver. And then you link that to storytelling. So I'm curious to know, how do, how do you see the relationship between with purpose, meaning, and, and storytelling? And why is storytelling such a good tool to, to work with purpose and meaning and, and get that, you know, into the the minds of people okay so that's a really great question so this comes down to can i define a couple of things sure sure absolutely so i know everybody's got their definitions for branding and brand and all this stuff but um the the most concise and easiest way that i define it uh, the term brand is the meaning that people attach to you or your service your offer your product so your brand is the meaning of people attached to you And the game I'm in and the game you're in, Tobias, is branding. Mm. And that is the attempt to manage that meaning. And so, you know, the powerful shift really is is that the power has gone from the business to the customer. Okay, and the customer will 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 basically make up their meaning. Even if you don't even even if you're not trying to manage it, they will conjure up some meaning in their mind. You know, your brand, your marketing materials, your your it's going to speak to them in a way dress a certain way um what your product or service actually does for that person in their day-to-day lives it means that that, that, that actually do something for them and that's going to create meaning in their in, in their mind your brand and your company and your business is going to behave a certain way it's going to source materials from certain places it's going to recruit particular types of people um and ultimately particularly with the the rise of the millennial you know your your brand is going to probably exist on the basis of a set of beliefs whether you like it or not. Yeah. Um, so, you know, most businesses say, well, we're in business to make money. That's great. That's great for you guys. But to be honest, the customer doesn't care about that. So you need to really think about your purpose, what's underpinning everything that you're doing, and think about it from the perspective of how the consumer is going to look at you and create that meaning in their minds. Mm. And so stories um, I've found um, and uh, are really the, the way that as humans – we kind of create meaning in our minds. Um, and so storytelling, it's like a, obviously archaic. It goes back down to the mists of time. But as human beings, it's across cultures, across time, the one thing that helps us in terms of, of how we think, how we, um, how, we, how we really kind of make sense of the world around us is through stories. And um, I, mean, I don't know how deep you want me to get here, Tobias, but it's quite interesting to think about the fact that um, the scientists, the psychologists tell us that, in effect, we actually all have our own personal story that we tell ourselves, which is shaped by our culture, by mm-hmm. our upbringing, our parents, right? So so I've got a story of myself, you've got a story of yourself. Every, everybody on the planet has a little story of themselves. And, and, if, and this, at this moment in their life, if they are um, fulfilling what they expect um, in terms of that story, then generally they'll feel quite satisfied and quite happy. 
But if not, then, and they're wanting to do something, they're wanting to go somewhere, they're wanting to uh, improve themselves, they're wanting to change something, what they do is for, for other things to help them get there. Um, and so to, to help them fulfill their story, right? So what happens in that sense is we look for, for really, uh, you know, brands become those other characters in, in your personal story. And so I did a lot of work uh, early in my career with um, with a brand called Fred Perry, who are massive over here in the UK. Mm. And, you know, if you are sort of a British, um, uh, you know, uh, person and you really identify with the Fred Perry story, he won Wimbledon. He was kind of a, a real champion. Um, then, you know, you would connect with that story, that hero story, and you'd buy into the Fred Perry brand. You'd wear Fred Perry T-shirts. Mm. So that enforces your story of yourself. So you pull like, him into your story. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's very much how I see how I see things working. You know, um, the stories that we tell and the brands that that we connect with really shape us into being who, who we are. Mm. Um, and ironically, Tobias, like uh, I use an example in the book, which I think is quite funny. Uh, well, funny. Funny is the wrong word. I, I use an example in the book, which um, really demonstrates this on quite an extreme level. Right. Because we're actually um, willing to pay money for that meaning in our lives. So the stories brands tell, and, and if they do it well, consumers are willing to pay a little bit more money to, to, diff, to buy that product, to buy that experience, because that's really what we're after. We're after that meaning. So the example I use is um, we're going to buy a handbag, right, um, for, our, for our wives or our other, other halves. And um, we've got two choices, okay? We could buy a, a one handbag. It's like a standard handbag. It's like 50 pounds, we could get it in most department stores or we could buy a, a Gucci handbag, right? Gucci handbag costs two, three thousand pounds. The standard handbag, 50 pounds, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of the function and exactly what that handbag does, it, it, it does exactly the same thing. You in it, you walk around with your stuff in it. But, that's, you know, consumers have grown from function. We've, we've moved on. What we want is meaning. We want more meaning in our lives. And so... You know, to somebody who really values the Gucci story that Gucci have been t telling you since you were a kid and, and your wife and your partner, um, that kind of like, you know, that if you're a glamorous, luxurious um, young lady and you deserve the very, very best um, and every billboard you've passed, every Vogue magazine you've looked at really um, frames that story in your mind and you've created that meaning and that really resonates with your story you're going to dip your hand in your pocket and you're going to pay 3000% more value mm -hmm. for the handbag, which is probably made in the same sweatshop as, you know, as the, <laughs> <laughs> as the cheaper version. Um, but the truth is the difference is that one has that Gucci brand identity stamped on the side, which has that meaning, which, which mm. is attached. Exactly. I, I love how you, how you really simplified that. And I, I explain similar stories to clients all the time. And I think, in my experience, this is one of the biggest hurdles. Like, I think that all makes sense and we all kind of can understand that quite easily. But yet, it's quite rare, I think, that companies are able to turn around their thinking from the product, from the utility value, and just really understand that, you know, we can approach it from the other way. It's just to purely analyze and break down value. What is value? You know, what, what makes something valuable? And like you said, like in, in cases like that, the meaning value, if you can categorize it that, that way, would probably account for 99% or more. Yeah, sure. Because it's really only about meaning, you know, I think. 
So yeah, that's that's really and so so what you're saying basically is storytelling is a fantastic tool to to convey that value and to to have people uh, take your story as a brand and pull it into their life and enhance themselves uh, their own identities. Um, Absolutely, yeah. I think yeah. it works too. I think it helps from um, a sort of a in a marketing perspective. Um, it helps creative the angle i came at it from from a you know from a creative team it helps me get a really if i understand the brand story i get an awesome brief to go back to my team to work on right but i've also found it a massively powerful tool shifting from from the outside looking in then then using it internally when when you get this into the boardroom when you get brand and consumer centric thinking in the boardroom um it excites people you know and they can connect with strategy far more passionately and emotionally than potentially if we're just looking at everything from facts and figures it gets people out of bed in the morning you know it's like uh, you know i've done a lot of work with hr teams and recruitment um and even kind of uh, analysis of performance and stuff and when you really understand the brand and the meaning that you want to convey it makes life so much easier when you're trying to train your staff mm. and really kind of boost boost the kind of the the meaning that they get out of their lives as well so it works on the, both sides of the coin from a business strategy perspective and also from a marketing and a kind of a, a, a positioning perspective. Yeah, I love that. And uh, when I started out as a brand strategist, I, I tended to follow the sort of conventional methods where you went for the definitions, you know, the brand strategy defi- definitions from, from purpose and positioning and identity and promise and, you know, what have you. And uh, I realized that it was quite difficult in workshops with people who weren't accustomed to doing it that way to just call out and say, now we're going to work on your positioning because obviously people don't understand or there's different perceptions of what positioning really means. And even if they do, it's still very uh, theoretic and conceptual and it's difficult to understand how you're actually going to use it. Until I actually started adding this thing called brand story, uh, which for me was always the glue. And I typically, well, I've done it in different ways, but typically toward the end uh, where everything is kind of fussy and stuff, but I... I want to make sure that the, the the brand strategy, the definitions, which I think are important to to have, but they need to come together in a brand story. And if you can't do that, then I th- don't think you've done a particularly good job in the definitions because then just they tend to become sort of um, detached from everything else. And I think that the big challenge then is translating that brand strategy and that story into what it actually means internally before you can actually cascade or that, translate that into the external stuff so exactly like so you said so yeah on. yeah yeah i think i think um, sometimes you know even if you do get leadership teams which say or, or maybe a maverick leader who says right we're gonna we're gonna look at our positioning what what actually sometimes happens is people go through the motions they do it for the sake of doing it and then they really struggle to disseminate that down through their business they kind of do it in a half-hearted way you know i've worked with businesses where They've set their values maybe three, four years ago, and you go in and you interview the staff from the top to the bottom, you know, a, a small segment, and you say, so what's the values, you know? And I had one uh, one business I worked with a few years ago, and, um, you know, one of the values was legacy. This was the value, right? And obviously, it made sense to the leadership team at the time, but when you interviewed the staff, they were like, we have, we first of all, most of them didn't even re- remember that legacy was a, a value. And secondly, like, they didn't really get what legacy meant. Um, and so you have to really kind of, I think when you're setting these things, you really need to, to say, well, the value is legacy, which means that we are mm. looking to leave a legacy behind us. So everything that we do, 
we are we are thinking about the the, the aftermath of, of the effect that we're that, that we're doing now suddenly it means something a bit more and and staff from the bottom right to the top can connect with it but without some clarification really building that's just a sort of a small example but you know take that example onto a much bigger level where we've got these vision statements everyone's got visions and missions and and values till they come out their ears but unless they're actually meaning something mm. and as you say stories are the glue that hold all of that together yeah um, they really do and i think the, the, the funny thing I found is, is that, you know, when you get a, a, a board of an SME, you know, you might have a marketing fourth, fifth, sixth generation, uh, you know, of that. Of you've also got like sales managers, you've got, you know, directors of all sorts of parts of the business. Now, what tends to happen in my experience is that, um, you know, marketing is really become very much around uh, generating sales leads, right? Usually mm. using inbound or outbound strategies. And then the sales team, they're, they're commissioned to, to kind of close on those leads. So I call it marketing, right? The, the sales <laughs> and the marketing hand in hand. And that's great. And, and you know, it works. But the, the thing is, it's very short-sighted, right? Everybody's looking at the numbers. And then you've got other people in the room who are very kind of, you know, operations driven. And, and you know, you've got the managing director. But nobody is really in boardrooms, I'm a, uh, you know, from the customer's perspective, from the brand, from the bigger long-term meaning. Mm that we want customers to connect to us. So I'm a bit of a champion for um, for the chief branding officer, CBO, right? I think right. more businesses should should apply that. Somebody to sense check, not just from the marketing perspective and the sales perspective, um, but to sense check the whole business strategy, as it were, through yeah. that lens of what is this going to mean to the consumer? What do, what do consumers believe about us now? And is this going to affect that belief system going forward into the future? And is it really genuinely living up to why we exist to our purpose? Mm. And the story really helps to connect all yeah. of those things together. So anyway, that's uh, uh, that's kind of it from from that side. You know that the, the stories creating, and um, and you know I'm 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 really a big champion of that. And so as you say, the challenge is how do you get that to work? And, yeah. um and as I say, I've got a few tools in the toolkit, which I think you're keen to talk about archetypes in a minute. So maybe we can go yeah. through that in a bit. Yeah, let's segue into archetypes. So, yeah, can you explain a little bit of what are archetypes and and why are they, you know, great for, for brand building and storytelling? Okay, so if, um, if stories are the way that we create meaning as human beings going through life, then the thing that I found absolutely fascinating is, is this concept of archetypes. Archetypes are patterns of behavior that we instinctively recognize. So um, there's an example I tend to use, which is um, say we're say we're in a pub. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't know if you call it a pub in, uh, in, in, in Helsinki, but sure. say it's say we're in a bar. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, we're having we're having a we're having a, a beer and um, a chap walks in and he's hilariously funny like you and i were falling around laughing we just think this guy is a great jester a great kind of entertainer style character now we will have already recognized his behavior in our minds probably within the first 10 seconds mm. um and we would connect him with that kind of archetype that pattern that character um now what i think is fascinating is we automatically stereotype and make judgments so if um if your agency wonder want like a new finance director that guy probably wouldn't come to our minds because we know that characters that fool around and are jokey, although great <laughs> for entertainment, right? And, and great to, if we were going out for another beer next week, great for us to have, uh, you know, have some time with that guy again. But if we want a finance director, we probably wouldn't think of him because those types of people don't tend to be particularly organized or mm. on the numbers. 
Um, right. And so instinctively, that wouldn't fit. Now, you take that um, and you can and you and you sort of think about brands as characters and stories, and you think about the uh, the type of meaning that you want people to attach to your brand identity and your brand positioning. And if you are a business that is all about numbers and being organized and and having everything kind of in control then you uh, you it would be suicide really from a positioning perspective to position yourself as a jester as an archetype which is falling around and joking with cartoons and stuff like that so i like to use that example because it kind of it kind of explains very easily to people like how archetypes are powerful um in terms of telling that story as, as just mm. the initial base I, I love that. I mean, when you when you spoke about that, I, I was thinking about one thing I also do, typically my speeches, I have this picture that I've been show, showing for, for years. It's a picture of a family uh, and they are standing in front of Mount Rushmore and there's this bunch of signals in that picture. And I always ask people, where are these people from? Tell me intuitively. And everyone always says the US. And actually, I won't go into details, but there are a lot of other clues or cues or signals or brand signals um, sorry, not brand signal, I shouldn't say brand signal, but signals there. So what you were speaking to, I think is the same thing. It's like a shortcut because you see, uh, and the point with that picture, by the way, is, is to talk about how our brains work as a sort of pattern recognizing mechanism. So you basically have these labels in our head. And when we encounter something new, we'll go and say, okay, this guy is making the jokes in the bar and stuff. So we'll, we'll pull out the files, which says he's a jester type, which also at the same time means he's not good for a reliable financial CFO work, perhaps. And I think that's why this is so powerful, because essentially they're metaphors. Mm. Like when you, when you encounter something, you will quickly make a snap judgment, which is essentially how brands work as well, right? They're really mm. like shortcuts or shorthand for us to quickly make a snap judgment. Is this for me? Is this relevant? Is this useful for me or not? Because we never have the full inf you know, story if you will. No, absolutely. Yeah, they are shortcuts. I think that's a really great way of putting it. Yeah, you know, it was a long and complicated way to say something very simple, I noticed. But <laughs> Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, when you do your research on consumer behavior and the way that we make decisions, we buy, it is very much emotion first, information second. You know, it is very much a human decision. And so, you know, I don't care how great your product is, unless you position it for humans, right? It's, uh, you know, you... You 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 basically won't be able to sell very much, you know. So yeah. so it's all about selling to humans. Humans buy people buy from people, and it's taking that and and really amplifying it. And as I say, thinking about uh, your business from the perspective that you are a character in your customer's story, right? That is what you. If you're going to be a character in your customer's story, then what I I kind of did was I was doing a load of research around this, stumbled upon archetypes. I read this book. Um, called The Hero and the Outlaw by yeah. Margaret Martin and Carol S. Pearson. Great Honestly, it, it blew my mind. Yeah, it absolutely yeah. blew my mind. I'd recommend it out there to, to anybody in, in, in marketing, branding, or, or creative industries. I've used it in-house. I've used it with agencies. Basically, anyone in my team, I was like, you have to read this book yeah, because yeah. it then becomes a, a language that we can all start talking once you understand archetypes. And, and what they do is they basically take um, – uh, uh, kind of the thinking of Carl Jung, mm. who was really interesting, um, a Swiss psychiatrist and, 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 and uh, psychoanalyst. And they really kind of take that into the world um, through their research of advertising and branding. And um, while, uh, while Carl Jung's really interesting, why, why, why he's interesting is because um, he was around the same, same time as Sigmund Freud, right? Mm. And 
Freud was talking a lot about the conscious and the unconscious minds. Um, and he was basically saying, like, you know, our conscious minds are, 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 are informed by our background, by stuff that's happened in our life, in our, in our personal past. Mm. Um, so, you know, you see it a lot, don't you, in like crime th- thrillers and stuff. They wheel in the psychologist and they sit somebody down and they say, you know, how's, he gonna, how's, this, um, how's this killer going to behave in this situation? Um, and they go, well, in his past, his dad treated him badly. And so that's going to come into his conscious mind and he's going to behave in this way. And that's all, you know, great and, and absolutely true. And, and it seems, um, you know, modern psychology is very much built on that. But what Jung discovered, and he actually fell out with Sigmund Freud at one point, I think they had a number of discussions, was he was saying, yeah, that's great, but that's all personal to the individual. I, he did some work. He was working with, um, he was an expert in dreams. He, um, and kind of um, culture going back in time, like uh, patterns and, and, um, and archetypes going back in time. And he had a you know a huge understanding of, of classical uh, classical educa- a classical education and, and a huge understanding of the classics and ancient Babylon and Greek and Rome, and he was dealing with like really poor Victorian people who didn't have that type of education, right? And what he found was was when these poor people came to him and explained these terrible dreams that they were having and these hallucinations that they were dealing with, he could see patterns in those which connected back in time to like ancient Roman times and ancient Greek times. And even before that, you know, you know, thousand years before that in Babylonian uh, myths. Mm. And he was like, hold on a second. Like this is weird, right? Because these people are not connected to those stories back in time. And so what he realized was, was there was something that underpinned the conscious and the unconscious. And he called that the collective unconscious. And he said that these patterns, these archetypes, um, really reside deep in the collective unconscious and that's why when we're sitting in a bar and somebody comes in and you know we have it's almost like inbuilt instinctively in our human nature to connect those dots to 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 make those shortcuts and so taking all of that um and then applying that to branding i just found fascinating and really exciting because what it means is is that although i'm not a psychologist you know, massively respect that as a, as a way of, of thinking. If we're here to fulfill a customer's need, a customer's, um, you know, to, to connect them with their story, we really un- need to understand these shortcuts, these ways that they're going to compute the information that we put across them. And as a business, we really need to understand that in order to behave in accordance with what a consumer would expect from us. Mm. And so that's where architects come in. They're super powerful. Yeah, and I think uh, what makes it even more credible for me is the fact that Carl Jung is also the man behind a lot of the personality tests that most people take, especially in bigger corporations like Myers Briggs, and and I'm sure a lot of other tests as well. And uh, when you were speaking about that, I just also thought about this whole point that brand brands are really about relevancy. I mean, more than anything else, of course, difference, you know, and everything. But but relevancy has been like the number one thing. Like if you encounter something or you come across a company you, you're going to think about, you know, is this, a, is this for me? Is this relevant for my needs? But also, of course, more than that, you know, the values and, you know, what are they about and what do they stand for and so forth. So in a way, I guess what you're saying is that if you're very clear on the archetype and you use that archetype, I guess, as an anchor for your storytelling, and that way it gives you a powerful tool to, to, to create relevancy and uh, resonate with people. Is that correct? It helps you to manage the meaning of your company. And, you know, I think one of the major challenges, particularly when you go up into, you know, multinational companies, is 
you need something that's cross-cultural that's that's kind of gen quite general but powerful to to be that glue like you like you called it tobias and the archetypes I've found a really powerful, to, you know, a way of doing that. Do you want me to? Um, do you want me to talk you through that? The, there are twelve archetypes that Carol um, uh, and uh, Mark, um, Margaret, Mark, kind of have defined. Yeah. Do you want me to talk you through them? Yeah, briefly? yeah, please do. And I think, and, and at the end, it would be nice to hear like how people, how the listeners can actually tap into those, and what can they do? How can they use those, and then start building stories around them? Yeah, yeah, please do. Okay, so I'll just go through them briefly because from a listener's perspective, I guess as I'm going through these, it's probably worth thinking like, you know, which one of these might my brand fit into? Um, yeah. But of course, I would also sort of counsel uh, a slight word of warning with that because I found people tend to gravitate to the one that they are, right? Yeah. <laughs> or the one that mostly are in their lives. Um, and so really, you have to do it as a team, as a leadership team. That's why I find like workshops really powerful. You've got to get people around these this thinking. So anyway, let me let me dive in. So First one is um, the caregiver. Um, in storytelling, kind of like your uh, your kind of Mary Poppins style character, your your healer, the person who um, uh, you know um, really is self sacrificial and really wants to look after people. So in the UK we have like the NHS, which is a great brand, uh, you know, caregiver brand. Johnson's Baby is quite a well known um, kind of caregiver brand. It's all about looking after your baby and and you know doing the right thing for them as they grow up. So, so that's one, the caregiver. The next one is the citizen. Um, the citizen's kind of all about sitting in and, and not really standing out. It's about kind of um, belonging and uh, being like a realist around the, with the common people, as it were. You know, so a lot of, um, a lot of kind of uh, brands that, um, you know, commoditized really sit into this, uh, this archetype, the citizen archetype. And um, I quite... I think kind of um, Ikea really are a brilliant example of a citizen brand. They celebrate the wonderful every day, right? Mm. So it's all about not standing out. It's about celebrating normality. And that is what the uh, the citizen brand is is all about. The next one is the creator. Um, the creator is all about trying to create something of enduring value. It's kind of like the the character in the in the uh, in the workshop, you know, sculpting. Pinocchio, you know, Geppetto. It's that kind of inventor um, kind of person, um, which kind of connects with me as a designer. And, and I've got two small boys and um, we're a massive fan of Lego, right? Yeah, so yeah. Lego is an awesome creative brand, uh, creator brand. Um, and uh, the way they position themselves as well, like there's a there's a brilliant ad that they they put out a few years back. And uh, it's, like a, um, it's like a grid of a bunch of Lego bricks with a number of them circled. So there's one, for example, with all the grey bricks um, circled, almost like a crossword, like they're, they're circled. And underneath it just says spaceship, right? Yeah. So it's going to help you create stuff. We're going to help you create spaceship from all our bits. And it's just, it's that, you know, that's a really powerful way of positioning yourself if you're a, you're a creator brand. And is that your archetype, I have to ask, you said? Well, it resonates with uh, <laughs> That definitely is one of mine. So, um, yeah, I, ha I, I have... Um, I have two, so uh, I'll, I'll tell you the other one. So that is one of them, and then yeah. I'll, uh, I'll tell you another one in a minute. Um, so the next, the next archetype, anyway, to go through is the explorer, um, a very powerful um, archetype, um, particularly um, for people wanting to break free and, and find something new. So freedom, exploration, um, new experiences, um, escaping, all of these things, you know, really uh, are evoked by the explorer archetype. And... Um, you know, to kind of like, I guess in stories, it's like you're, you're, you're kind of uh, Indiana Jones, you know, your mm. Lara Croft um, kind of um, 
uh, characters. I always think of a, a good one is like a Sherpa, you know, you yeah. want to go up Mount Everest, you've got to go to the Sherpa, they're your explorer archetype, they know the best routes up there, they're going to help you get to the summit. Um, and so uh, brands that really, you know, the North Face is a super brand that positions itself as an explorer, you never see a North Face positioning with someone sat in an office, right? It's right. always some clinging to a mountain somewhere, you know, um, and, and they're actually their tagline is never stop exploring. Right. So they're on it in terms of the, whether deliberately or accidentally, they, they know what they're doing from that, from that perspective. The next one is the hero, probably a classic, quite a classic one. Um, the hero is all about saving someone from something, you know? So Nike are trying to save us from, uh, from our inner fears and they're trying to help us to overcome, um, by, basically being that hero in our life to help us to uh, enact that. You know, heroes are all about proving their worth through courageous action um, and exerting mastery. So that's that's a that's a quite a powerful one. You know, we've obviously the, the rise of DC um, comics, all those characters, it's, it's massive. You know, Wonder Woman, uh, Batman, it's, it's huge, um, the, the, the hero archetype. But the next one is the innocent. Um, the innocent is... It's all about experiencing happiness and doing the right thing. And, you know, we all know people like this, that they're almost sometimes a little bit naive, but you know, their intentions are really wholesome and good. Um, I think sometimes in storytelling of um, Belle in, um, in in Beauty and the Beast, mm. um, so Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, they're classic innocent archetypes. They don't want to do anything wrong. They're just, they're just you know, they're just lovely. And in terms of brands, um, there is, of course, the classic innocent smoothies, right? I don't yeah, know if you have right. Yeah, oh, we have it. Yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, obviously in the UK here, they're huge. And they're all, they actually use the archetype as their name, right? Innocent. So, yeah. and it's all about, um, you know, all the goodness that goes in um, and all their positioning and, and advertising is very much connected with, you know, with the produce, where it comes from and, and the richness of that. Um, and so that's great. Even, you know, and there's other brands that really tapping into that quite surprisingly, you know, you think about McDonald's, right? They're locally produced, um, recycled, um, packaging, all of this stuff. Really interesting, really tapping into the innocent archetype. And when I was growing up, I used to love to go to the McDonald's stuff. They used to have clowns and stuff and yeah. ball, ball pens. And it's all innocent storytelling off the back of that. And we connect, you know, innocent times with, with that organization, even though it's kind of massive and it's taking over the world um, from, a, from a fast food perspective. Okay, next one. Um, we've already talked about this one. Uh, the jester archetype. Um, all about entertainment, having joy and, and, and uh, you know, playing jokes and having fun. So Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean, classic example of a jester style archetype. Right, you yeah. know, got Mr. Bean championing the UK here. Um, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's also, uh, you know, with Rowan Atkinson, he's a classic uh, jester archetype. But the, um, in terms of brands, you know, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, they position themselves. It's a consumer product. It's an ice cream, right? Uh, when are you going to get Ben and Jerry's? Probably when you're about to watch a film or or, or in the cinema or something mm. like that. So you want a serious brand of ice cream then, right? You want to have fun. So it really connects well with consumers uh, on that. On the, uh, one of their ads I quite, quite find funny. It just says like ingredients. And it says like a big dollop of this, a big dollop of that. And that's their yeah. ingredients. And, yeah. and, you know, they're just having fun with it and position themselves like that. The next one is one for you, Tobias. It's the lover archetype. Oh, sounds <laughs> oh. just like me. <laughs> well, I thought you might. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the lover is all about um, relationships, actually, and connecting with people. Obviously, there's kind of um, the sexual side of it, 
but there's also kind of a maternal and family lover archetype, which is very powerful um, to evoke um, about kind of connections, relationships, safety uh, and that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, you think of Titanic and Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio's ca- characters. That That's huge. Mm. And another ice cream example from a brand perspective, Haagen-Dazs, they always position themselves, um, you know, more from the sexual side, these guys, but um, from a lover archetype. You've got a lot of luxury brands in this space, particularly around, um, you know, the, the, the kind of perfume industry, right. jewelry industry, really connected with that. Um, the next one is the magician, um, which is my other archetype, which I like to kind of connect with, um, uh, Tobias. Um, the magician is all about changing things, right? Trans- transformation, making dreams come true. And I think in branding, if, if you know, that's that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, really, to see to see things change, but in a really positive way. Right. Yeah. And sometimes in a way you can't always put your finger on, you know, but but it is that magic that, that kind of takes place with people, I, I find. Anyway, but in terms of the actual archetype, that's your kind of like your Gandalf kind of style character that will, uh, that will, that will appear out of nowhere and almost change things mystically. Mm. Um, there's a brand over here in the UK. We've got, uh, I don't, I assure you've got it as well, uh, Lynx, the, um, the aftershave. It might be called Axe. I yeah, know. Axe. It's called Axe here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they, they're, quite, they're quite amusing because they... Um, they 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 really fell into this kind of magical archetype space and they the, the basic proposition is is like you spray links on you and the uh, women will you yeah. um and it will transform you, you know? <laughs> it doesn't work but um but you know it's that kind of archetypes evoked another one that's quite cool is tabasco sauce they they very much um from america they very much position themselves like you put a few drops of this tabasco sauce on your food and it will turn from just being an average dish into something you know like an a, like an atom bomb exploding almost you know that yeah. it really lines things up so they position themselves on that magician that magician side of things so the next one is the rebel archetype the rebels all about revenge and revolution very strong um, you know, from from in, in, and actually, I find men really respond well to this. The rebel archetype, um, they want to kind of disrupt or change something uh, radically. And so, you know, Han Solo in in um, Star Wars is a great example of that. <laughs> there's um there's a. It's funny because Apple, um, they really started off as a I would say as a, a rebel archetype, particularly when Steve Jobs was around. Um, I think they've moved more into the kind of magician space now things but the the um you know that whole thing of think differently um was really rebellious and basically it was them um rebelling against the pc right yeah Um, and i remember the i don't know do you remember those ads they had mr pc and mr apple and yeah yeah sure yeah yeah mr pc was a bit stuffy and mr apple was the cool guy and they'd have a chat about some some feature and uh mr mr apple was always basically saying oh it's just so much easier on a mac um and it was their way of rebelling against apple in quite a, a a formal way um, next up um, is the sage. So the sages are like the gatekeepers of knowledge and data and truth. Um, and so you go to a sage for wisdom. So Yoda, for example, in in Star Wars, you go to him for knowledge about the force. Um, and so he's the gatekeeper of that kind of knowledge. The Economist magazine really does position themselves well in this regard. Mm. Um, remember one ad that they ran, it said, um, I never read The Economist. And then underneath, really small, it said, <laughs> management trainee, a aged 42 yes I in other that. words <laughs> that's a great still one still a trainee <laughs> to 
He never reads The Economist. Like, come to The Economist for knowledge to grow, push yourself forward. Um, you know, you've got other brands like Wikipedia and, and, and brands like that, which really become the gatekeepers of knowledge in the modern mm. world and, and evoke that. Mm. So just to come on out, the ruler archetype is all about control and leadership um, and really kind of um, precision, I find. And, and you go to a, a ruler archetype if, if you're in chaos and you need some order in your life. So... Aragorn in Lord of the Rings is kind of your calm, sensible leader um, archetype. Um, and Rolex, brands like Rolex, Hugo Boss, you know, a lot of luxury kind of um, brands trying to exude power. They're trying to, uh, to say, look, if you're a ruler, if you're a leader in your, in your world, you know, buy our brand. Um, so, you know, Rolex, as I say, is a great example. They even have a, their emblem is actually um, a crown, isn't it? Right. So, uh, so that's kind of a, and Hugo Boss, I always think that's interesting because their brand name actually is boss so you know they they kind of sit into that so i guess um i guess that is that's them in a nutshell and i think what's powerful about uh, margaret mark and carol s pearson's book is that they take those archetypes um and they actually loosely apply them to consumer motivation and what they they sort of say is, is that you know they they use pretty much the model which is i don't know if you're familiar with it, it's maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a fantastic kind of basic model of of what we look for and so you know you start off with like basic things as humans we need like food and drink and, and sleep and then you move up the the pyramid into uh, into more you know things like safety after we've got that and then into what we desire is belongingness and then we want to be to kind of have s- esteem and self-actualization and so, but really you don't progress to the next level until you have the base level before. Mm. Um, and what they do is they take that, pretty much that model and, and other ones as well, and they apply it to archetypes, right? And so they, they suggest that certain archetypes are evoked in consumers, depending on what they're looking for. And so going back to the analogy of the guy in the, in the, in the pub, Tobias, like if we're looking for a good time and some entertainment, like we'd think of him. Um, but we wouldn't bring him into, uh, you know, in, <laughs> into a situation that was really serious for us. Like we wouldn't, we wouldn't think, oh, you know, we need an attorney. Let's go to that guy. Yeah. You know, so you, it's really the same with brands and from a consumer perspective. So you, you, you sort of said before, how could we, how do we actually start thinking about these and using them as tools? Mm. Now, obviously, a lot of stuff surrounding that. That's why, you know, I wrote the book. But in essence, what you, what you need to really do is. Design your customer, design um, your perfect customer, and then think about them, like which archetype are they? How do they see themselves in their story? And what are they looking for? What are their, what are their goals? What are their challenges? What's their pain? Um, really dig deep into that by doing like consumer reporting, really, you know, um, an analysis, research. You know, I say get your people out there talking to customers or even get customers in to some workshops that you're running, you know, so you have the voice of the customer with the leaders right there, you know, mm. and leaders really need, I think, to start responding to, to the customer. It's not about, we can't just sit in a, in a room and think that we can conjure up a brand. The brand, as I said at the start, is the meaning people attach to you. So it's in their heads. It's not in, it's not in your head. Yeah. Um, and so, it, it, you've got to look at it from that way around. And therefore, if you understand that, you understand what your customer's looking for, it then gives you a framework to think, well, which archetype could we position ourselves in? So there's that side. 
um, very much an authentic side of, of, of trying to fulfill the customer need. But there's another thing as well that's worth bearing in mind, which is in really crowded marketplaces, you might find, so we mentioned like the luxury, say perfume uh, as a kind of a, an option. You know, how many brands are there that position themselves as that lover archetype? You know, you've got a shot of a man and a woman um, connecting, uh, you know, in, in each other's arms. And then there's a shot of a perfume bottle. And it's like, you know, it's basically that that's how they position it. Now, it obviously works because they're doing it. But what a great space, right, to think about a perfume brand from another archetypal yeah. position. You know, and shift things. That could be a great way. That, that was one of the questions I had in mind while you were walking through those different archetypes is that, you know, because some categories are very strongly linked to one, like you mentioned the economists, and it kind of it's very natural to think about wisdom and the sage and so forth. And you talk about uh, Ben and Jerry's as well. And I, I was thinking, yes, they're they're the was it jester? I don't know, um, but but they I think they're also come from a place of strong values and uh, and changing the world kind of stuff. So which leads to me the question: Can you combine them? And should you combine them? Should you choose one, two, three? Uh, and, and sort of try to create a cocktail for yourself that creates that uniqueness, or do you just choose one and find a corner to occupy within that, or, or, or a interpretation? Or what's your view on that? So, yeah, this this question inevitably comes up. So, it's quite interesting because within each archetype, there are absolute there are tons of nuances. So, there's actually um, uh, another book which um, I might mention by. Uh, Margaret Hartwell and Joshua Chen. Okay, it's called Archetypes in Branding: A Toolkit for Creatives and Strategists, and uh, I've used that. And so, within the, each of these twelve archetypes, they they actually subset, they kind of divide them into four deeper archetypes, right? So you can really get some nuances within that. So that's kind of one angle. I found that sometimes a bit too complex for for teams to get their heads around, um, and so inevitably you do get this this kind of question: Well, can we combine? And and yes, you can. Um, but what I'd say is, is you've got to be careful not to dilute the meaning you want people to attach to you, right? Yeah, right. So usually I say you need a primary. You need to know at your heart, at your core, come to your purpose. And so some work needs to be done with a team to, to really uncover that, really, ideally, and sketch that out before you start diving into. And, and it has to be really authentic. You know, why did the business start in the first place? Who? What was the founder? Uh, what were they about? You know, why did they begin it? Um, and really kind of uncovering some of those early purpose stories. Um, if they're still relevant today, then then you've got a really good, strong backbone to then say, okay, so, and if our consumers, what are they saying? How can we then do that? So you, you often find there's one primary, but you might give some depth by combining it with another one. Mm. So one great brand I like to uh, to use as an example of a kind of a, a combined effort is Harley Davidson, right? So Harley Davidson, they are kind of a rebel brand but they're also an explorer brand combined. Mm. So you go to them to rebel against your everyday life, to get out and, 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 and kind of explore new, new places, but you do it in a rebellious kind of mm. way. So do people are afraid of you. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, you, know, you do it with your jacket and your head and, and, you know, and that, that kind of appeals to a lot of people, you know, who, who really probably see themselves needing that experience in their life, you know? And so, if that archetype is being evoked, they won't go to any other motorcycle brand. You know, they'll go to Harley Davidson. And what a powerful brand that is! People tattooing it on their arms. You know, yeah. when you that kind of uh, that kind of level of meaning, you know, you've done done the right thing. We can only dream sometimes of creating brands of, of that kind of magnitude. Absolutely. Um, so you, so 
really powerful stuff um, and you can get really deep with it. But also it is just very simple to bias. This is the thing. I don't want I don't want your listeners to think, do you know what, Flip, this is uh, this is really complicated. It's really not complicated. Yeah. All it does is it it's it's one tool to help connect people, the glue, to stick it all together. Right. And I love the and, way in your book, uh, sorry for jumping in, I love the way in your book you actually simplify it. I think it's very well laid out. You have the six steps to six areas and you walk it through so basically i think the the best advice i can give is just get the book and uh, go through the steps and you'll have everything you explained here and a lot more so uh before i ask my final question then i think we're coming toward the end here um where can people connect with you besides oh, getting the book where can they buy the book and how can they connect with you so um, you can buy the book on Amazon, and I'm sure we can uh, provide a link at some stage. Um, yep. If you come to my website, though, you'll find it there. So my website is mrmattdavies.me, um, and I now am a kind of a solo consultant. So I'm free, um, you know, if, if you're interested in that, this kind of thing or you need help from a leadership perspective, particularly in alignment, um, then, you know, I'm really interested to speaking to businesses in and around uh, that, that, that really need help in this area. So, uh, so yeah, so Mr. Matt Davies, I blog. Um, pretty much weekly. And as I say, there's a link to my book there. And I'm sure hopefully at some stage, there might be more books coming. <laughs> great, great. Looking forward to that. Uh, my final question is, since this podcast is about being extraordinary, what does being extraordinary mean to you? I think for me, being extraordinary means doing something of en enduring value, right? Changing the world in a positive way that that has meaning for people in time to come, right? Mm. I think, we, we, Tobias, I think we live so much in the moment nowadays, and that's great, but we don't often think about the impact of what we're doing. And so I would say, yeah, that to, to do something extraordinary is to do something that when you leave the room, that thing continues on uh, and has a really positive effect to other people. And I think that's that's it. That's that's a bit of a long-worded, kind of a long long way around of saying, yeah, that's what no, it is. No, I love it. I love it actually. I I love that uh, that you brought that up because I think uh, it's um, I when I chose the word, I first I've you know you think of brands and differentiation, and that's obviously one part of it, like you know stand out and be unlike others. But I love the depth of that, and that's how I see it as well. Like it's really about doing something that matters in the world and 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 doing something that makes a difference. And I think essentially. All of us want to do that. We want to create progress and growth in our lives. And I think so. Yeah, that's, that's a very beautiful way to put it. I think that's really, you know, that's the designer in me, right? So um, art, I see very much as like self-expression. But design is about changing things um, for a purpose and, right. and imagining that, that future world and really designing the way to get there. Yeah. And so, that, yeah, that's it. That's, that's it. Really. it. If you want to be design and and uh, you know and get creative yes absolutely hey thanks so much for being on the podcast matt i there's so much so much good stuff in there i need to digest it a little bit and uh and i'm going to put some some links in the show notes but hey great talking to you and uh i think you know for anyone out there who's listening who wants to learn more uh i think the best way is just to to connect directly with matt and it was mr matt davies.com right dot me dot me okay dot me it's all Great. about me. It's all <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been absolutely wonderful. And uh, and keep keep up the really great work. This podcast, we need it, you know, Tobias, to do a great job with it. And keep getting great people on there. And, and uh, really kind of 
putting a spotlight on on this type of thinking because I think really businesses need it as we as we enter this kind of new experience driven economy that we that we that we're entering. So thanks for all your hard work as well. Thank you very much.